This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. In the second of two broadcasts about more sustainable forestry practices, one of the founders of the Cortez Community Forest Cooperative talks about the industry's diminishing harvests in terms that a gardener understands. Bruce Ellingson explained. Back in the 1970s, it used to be called tree farming to give the public the idea that you're actually going to be creating crops off of that landscape each year. As far as I can see, conventional forest management, foresters, engineers, and everybody else involved in deciding what is a sustainable cut in the provincial forest that they're managing, are not in their calculations allowing for any consideration of the reduction of nutrients in the land base with each succeeding harvest. They just work on the assumption, as has been touted for years, we can cut down the forest and then as long as we replant at least one tree for each one we cut, or maybe two or three, considering there's not going to be all of them that get to a, an age where we're, we allow ourselves to cut them again, we're still going to be sustainable because each crop is going to be replaced with new trees. But the thing is, not being replaced is the nutrients that it takes to grow those trees. It's being gradually drawn down. Anybody who's farming anything or growing things in a garden or even farming on a grand scale realizes if you take a crop off, you better put something back into the soil before if you want to get another one next time around of the same quality and and abundance. Otherwise, it's going to diminish over one year to the next, to the next, to the next. And after three or four rotations, you're not going to get very much of the growth, whether it's wheat or potatoes or whatever that you're wanting to grow. You'll just exhaust the soil that you're growing on of the nutrients that it takes to grow grow that crop. And pretty soon it will not grow a crop successfully any longer. In my own gardening experience, it seems like about three years is about as much as you get back that's at all satisfying. Beyond that, you better put something back into the soil, ideally every year. But if you leave it three years, you better put a whole bunch back more in (laughs) or leave it to follow to regenerate itself. In forestry terms, we're dealing over a lot longer time frame, but the dynamic is still the same. Every time you have a new crop of of trees on a landscape and harvest it, about half of the tree volume and leave the other half of roots, tops and leaves and and limbs on the landscape to rot down and, and recycle. But you're taking about half of the nutrients that it took to grow that tree out of that landscape and it disappears down to the booming ground and off to the ship or wherever it's going or the sawmill. It never goes back onto that landscape to be recycled like most natural systems do. Over probably three or four rotations, you're going to be exhausting that landscape of the ability and the nutrients required to regenerate succeeding crops of trees. I watched a Zoom presentation by Dr. Suzanne Samard from the UBC, who has been looking into the dynamics and the complexities of an interaction between different species of trees in the central interior where she grew up and and practiced most of her years and did some experiments on dynamics of nutrient transfer between trees of the same species, between trees of different species at different seasons of the year and so on. And it was a sort of a reaction, I understand, to her discomfort with the prevalent attitude in the ministry that when a forest was cut and then being replanted, you had to eliminate all what they considered to be competition for the new trees that were being planted so that they could, the thought was, get exclusive access to the nutrients and grow the best. 
she felt that there was some probable benefit to the relationship between deciduous trees, aspen mainly in the interior, I understand, and the conifers, the pines and spruce that were being replanted. She experimentally demonstrated the fact that the uh, aspen trees and the conifer trees were exchanging nutrients at different times of the year, measurably. She set up experiments to, to demonstrate that in the spring when they, before the aspen leaf out and the photosynthesis is going on in the conifer trees that still have their needles throughout the winter, that there's actually nutrients flowing from the conifers into the aspen trees. Once the aspen trees leaf out in the spring and in the summer when they're fully leafed out and they have their photosynthetic activity at a full bore, then they're transferring nutrients over to the conifers. And in the autumn, when the aspen lose their leaves, the transfer goes back from the conifers back into the aspen trees. So it's a symbiotic, uh, mutually beneficial relationship. And the fact that the prevailing attitude of getting rid of these competitors, these deciduous trees, was for the best of the growth of the forest, she demonstrated to not be the case. But she found a lot of resistance both in, within the bureaucracy of MOF and within the timber industry itself to changing their minds or opening up to their evidence that she was able to demonstrate from her experiments. The other thing in this Zoom presentation she made through the Tidemark Theatre last fall was the evident diminishment of the organic layer on the landscape from each succeeding harvest. One of the one or two or three of the slides that she showed in an area where she had been familiar with and had a photograph from about 30 years ago. She showed the level of, or the layer of organic matter on the topsoil of this cut bank next to a stream or something that washed it out and made it clearly evident as to what the layers of the of the soil was like. There was about 8 to 12 inches of, of dark organic matter on that soil at that time 30 years ago. When she went back there just last year, I think it was, and had a, a subsequent uh, slide to show on the, her presentation it was down to about half of that. So each time you take something off, you're reducing the nutrients that it took to grow that crop by about 50% of, of what it took to grow them. And unless you replace that, or unless you allow the system to regenerate to the point where it can start replacing those nutrients in it through its own activities of the different organisms that are there between the mycorrhizal fungi and the and the apophytes and so on, and the accumulation of organic matter from the the trees, needles and things like that falling down and accumulating and rotting down. But that takes time. That takes a lot more time than is allowed with the conventional approach to the rotation harvesting period. It really only gets going. Dr. Jerry Franklin had been in many conversations over decades with Herb Hammond had done some studies in eastern Washington state about the role that epiphytes, the, the fungi and the, the mosses and, and other things like that grow on and in a forest and on trees and so on. And the input that they generated, those epiphytes are capable of taking nitrogen straight out of the atmosphere into their tissues. And as they go through their relatively short lifetime and die and fall to the forest floor, then those, especially nitrogen, which is one of the most important nutrients for green growth on the earth that becomes available to the trees in the forest. The conclusion he came to was that the epiphytes are 
introducing about the same amount of nitrogen into the forest landscape as a farmer would put on his fields to grow a crop of wheat or something like that. And that's all free, of course, when they're allowed to get to that. But when you have a, a clear cut and the trees that you replant with or naturally regenerate start growing, it takes somewhere around 50 to 80 years for them to really start showing up as regenerating a few of the 400 or more varieties of epiphytes that exist in an old-growth forest. It takes maybe up to 250 years or so before the full range of those species of epiphytes reestablish themselves and start pumping that nitrogen back into the system. If you have a rotation age of 50 to 80 or, and you cut the trees down at that age, that free nutrient reintroduction into the system never happens naturally. As humans, we can't afford to fertilize our grand forest landscape in BC. <laughs> we'd, we'd bankrupt ourselves real fast. <laughs> Talk about a negative input to the provincial economy, boy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, those are the reasons why I long ago come to the conclusion that what we're doing in the province is not sustainable. Do you think we're there now? We're approaching it rapidly, especially on Vancouver Island, ENN land grants up the southeast side of Vancouver Island where the harvesting rotation age is happening on a much shorter rotation. They're into their third rotation now of harvesting. The old growth was cut in the late 1800s, early 1900s, all the way from Victoria, where the land grant started, all the way up to Sayward pretty well on that privately owned land that was given away to the CPR originally. And on the crown forest land in the rest of BC, when I was a young fellow, the assumed harvesting cycle was around 80 to 120 years. Now the Ministry of Forests thinks that the sustainable rate of harvest should be around 60 to possibly 80 years or 50 to possibly 80 years, so it's creeping down all the time, which is understandable because in the harvesting of the old original forest, the trees were really big and they had to gear up with the machinery and infrastructure to handle all those really big trees and make lumber and products out of them. We exhausted the availability of those big trees around the 50s or 60s. Then the small wood harvesting and processing facilities moved on to the coast of BC, as well as the interior first, where the timber was smaller to begin with. But on the coast, they came here around the 1970s or so with chip and saw mills and, and bandsaw mills over a decade or so. They can very efficiently handle small wood and make money out of it in large volumes and not have to put in the the larger infrastructure because, well, it's not even considered to be viable to put in the larger infrastructure to handle big trees because they're just hardly ever around there anymore or available. The only giant trees that we could possibly see around anymore are the ones that haven't been cut down yet. We don't see them around hardly anymore except in, like, Cathedral Grove on the way to Port Alberni or areas like that have been reserved for one reason or another where there still are some of the big old giant trees, the big trees we we think of, we visualize when we talk about old growth, which are anywhere probably from 400 to 1,000 years old or more. They've all disappeared. That's the reason why we don't see them. We've cut them down. You've been listening to the second of, you've been listening to the second of two articles. You've been listening to the second of two broadcasts with Bruce Ellingson about Vancouver Island's diminishing tree harvests expressed in terms that a gardener would understand. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye.